0: to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. I'm thrilled today to have with us longtime anti-racist activist and organizer Chris Crass from Louisville, Kentucky. He's the author of several books, including Towards Collective Liberation, Anti-Racist Organizing, Feminist Praxis, and Movement Building Strategy. His newest book is towards the other America, anti-racist resources for white people taking action for Black Lives Matter. Chris Crass is also a co-founder of the anti-racist movement building center, the Catalyst Project, which combines political education and organizing support to develop and support anti-racist politics, leadership and organizing in white communities, and building multiracial alliances locally and nationally. Welcome, Chris Krass, to Nothing Never Happens. So to start off, I want to ask you, Chris, about your own background. How did you get interested in doing activist work?
1: Yeah, I think the, my understanding of how I got involved is, you know evolved over time. Um, really being able to understand the important role my parents played took a little bit longer. Of being able to see the ways that they planted a lot of seeds and really help support uh, a commitment to being involved in your community, Um, having a kind of civic engagement, you know, kind of a sense of uh, being a part of a larger society that you need to contribute to and that you need to learn from, Uh, and basically this kind of idea of like society and the world around you is full of learning and possibility, and for you to engage with people as opposed to a real right wing. Uh, view that was also in in my extended family which was kind of like the broader world is something to be feared Um, there's people out there trying to to, uh, uh, harm you and ruin you and those people were usually people of color Mm -hmm. uh, LGBTQ people uh, feminists um, so mm-hmm. as a, as a young person, as a, you know, eight, 10 year old kid, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would hear my, my mom in particular arguing with my grandfather mm-hmm. and, you know, my grandfather coming from this, you know, very racist right wing perspective of the world. Yeah. And my mom coming from this much more of an open democratic, um, believing in the e- equality um, of all the inherent worth and dignity of all people. Um, and so that argument really had a big impact on. Um, as a young person and so when I was about 15 it was when I first met somebody who understood themselves to be an activist um, mm-hmm. and it was this uh, you know working class just got kicked out of Catholic school mm-hmm. kid uh, yeah. Mike Raniac who um, had been involved in the youth culture of um, political activism mm-hmm. of uh, you know punk rock and anarchism and mm-hmm. um, taking to the streets uh, to protest police brutality, to protest war, yeah. um, and you know he started talking about being involved in the world in that kind of a way, not mm-hmm. just trying to uh, uh, you know be nice to people, not just um, you know try to try to make your community more beautiful, but what are the actual oppression? uh, um, structures in our society that keep communities down, that, um, create exploitation, that create power imbalance. And that just really resonated for me. And so he and I got involved, um, and started building up an activist group in our high school. And from there, it just really evolved, um, into trying to create more of an activist culture, a a social justice, left leaning, uh, youth culture, um, in our community, at our, in our school. So my parents really planted a lot of seeds mm-hmm. um, that then later matured when I first started meeting activists. And it just resonated deeply. as mm-hmm. like a kind of a, a spiritual calling of like, yes, mm-hmm. this is my life purpose.
0: Oh. So what part of the country did you grow up in?
1: I grew up in Southern California in mm-hmm. the suburbs of Los Angeles. And so it was kind of right between the you know, working-class, multiracial uh, city of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and at that time, the mostly white, very right-wing-leaning mm-hmm. Orange County um, yeah. was right there next to me as well, mm-hmm. um, and so those kind of two different forces mm-hmm. uh, really had an impact on me.
0: Was there any issue in particular you worked on and any kind of victory that came out of that activist work at that time?
1: Well, I mean, the I think that what really kind of push things on a deeper level. There was two. One was the Gulf War 1991 when Mm -hmm. the first Bush presidency went to war um, against Iraq. And that really awakened um, this kind more of the United States as an imperialist power, Mm -hmm. uh, global um, issues around global solidarity with uh, uh, people's movements for justice Mm -hmm. um, and against war Um, and really starting to understand a deeper sense of war in terms of capitalism, in terms of exploitation of resources around the world, in terms of empire. Um, you know, so I was like a kid reading like Noam Chomsky and, you know, <laughs> yeah. being kind of like, oh my gosh, what Noam Chomsky says, is it's true. You know, I had my first experiences of going to Los Angeles and marching with tens of thousands of people wow. against the war. Um, you know, before that, it would be like, you know, Uh, 20 kids from high school protesting, you know, Mm -hmm. in the suburbs, um, which was still important. But that experience of marching in the streets with tens of thousands of people against the war really opened my sense of possibility of what kind of what people power could look like and feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we did a lot of work on our campus, um, our high school campus, to really build an anti-war movement. We would Mm -hmm. argue with our teachers who were pro-war um, we took on the Republican Club in a debate against ab- about the war yeah. and destroyed them. Um, mm. You know, so we really, we, our, our, our effort was to try to win as many people as possible to an anti-war commitment. And there was a lot of victories around that. We really grew um, our, our group of support, um, yeah. people who were coming out to participate in things. Um, and then the next was the Rodney King verdict in Los Angeles, oh, yeah. which just really shook everything to the core in terms of really beginning to mm-hmm. see white supremacy as a structural yeah. um, historic institutional force in our ongoing force in our society as opposed to white supremacy is just some a handful of explicitly racist uh people in some you know who we just need to you know push against their hate agenda yeah. um, but they're not at the center of power. They're not at the center of the creation of this country. Mm-hmm. And so the Rodney King verdict was really an awakening, a painful, yeah. painful, heartbreaking, soul-wrenching, mm-hmm. but ultimately life-transforming and life-giving transformative mm-hmm. experience of beginning to reckon with the uh, the history of white supremacy in this country yeah. and its ongoing reality. Um, but it also connected me to people of color led struggles for justice mm, yeah. which was key to my evolution then around being able to see myself um as part of something much bigger
0: yeah you was you were still in high school when this i was happened? 18. okay all right um and then from there you went to college uh you went to uh, san francisco state university and you self-designed a major and i'd like to get you to talk a little bit about the major it's um an interesting title for a major race class gender and power studies
1: yeah basically i was like okay coming out of the rodney king verdict um a friend of mine uh one of the only the only black friend i had um at that point you know the ways that cultural and 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 physical segregation um operates in this country is to really prevent people, particularly white people, from really being mm-hmm. in friendship relationships of really knowing the lives of people of color outside of being served by people of color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but my friend Terrence, you know, after the Rodney King verdict and many conversations with him about race, you know, he was really like, you know, you really need to take mm-hmm. a black studies class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was also a lot in that time period of awakening around feminism and gender issues. Um, and so my mom, she said, well, you need to take a women's histories class <laughs> too. Um And so that really set me on course Mm -hmm. um, where I was like, okay, I want to go to school to learn how to become more effective activist. I want to go to school to try to understand how white supremacy, how patriarchy, how structural inequality operates historically and today. And I want to study liberation movements, primarily people of color led liberation movements, working class uh, liberation movements, movements that have been multiracial that have really contested not just to reform the system, but have had a transformative vision of a different way we can live, Um, whether that's socialist, whether that's uh, a a, a revolutionary feminist, um, a black liberation understanding of a transformation of society from structural inequality to structural equality, structural freedom, structural liberation. Um, And so my coursework then was okay how can i bring classes from women's studies ethnic studies um labor studies um, and I was also wanting to really try to learn more about just the kind of more uh, tradition of the, the Western canon of political science to be able to try to have some understanding of more of like what are some of the dominant political ideas and also what are some of the ways within Western political theolo- uh, you know, uh, theory there's places of struggle between Marxism and, and you know and capitalism and so really trying to understand political theory, women's studies, ethnic studies uh, with a focus on – Understanding structural oppression and movements that can move us towards liberation. Um, Liberation in terms of legislation, in terms of policy, in terms of institutions, in terms of culture, education, Mm -hmm. media, the whole wide range of what would it look like for feminist, um, Mm anti-racist, socialist values to be at the center shaping our society.
0: Well, in in these studies, um, who either theoretically or in person became your mentors and your inspiration for this? I know in your books, you've mentioned a lot of different people like uh, Ella Baker and Anne Braden, uh, Bell Hooks, and and you just mentioned Chomsky and and others. Um, So who are your inspirers?
1: Well, all of those people for sure. I mean, one of the things I'm grateful for is that I had in community college on my way to San Francisco State, I had a professor who was um, an activist scholar and really helped create a space for activist-leaning students to find a political home um, at community college. And she really encouraged me to uh, take my education in, into my own hands, to not just see, okay, well, what are the existing majors and how can I, how can I like fit myself into and just kind of try to get the most I could out of what already existed? Yeah. And she said, you know what? These are the things that you say you really want to study. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out how you can put together an interdisciplinary major um, when you go to San Francisco State and also taking the classes now that are going to be requirements. But start yeah. really, I mean, this is your education. You know, don't feel like you're bending yourself to the institution to just kind of like get the most you can out of what's already there try as much as you can to figure out what are your priorities mm-hmm. what are your commitments mm-hmm. and how can you are there opportunities to shape your education in a way that's really going to serve that purpose because you know what she said is that overwhelmingly so many of our schools are shaped to develop capitalist hierarchical minded yeah. uh, uh political you know uh, an, an ideology of domination and so professional class people who can fit within a domination ideology, an exploitation ideology. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to create a liberation education, you need to be able to try to find and piece together the professors, the courses that are going to help lead in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, And so out of that, there was both people who I met through study Ella Baker, you know, studying her mm-hmm. in the book I've got yeah. The Light of Freedom by Charles Payne, which has blew my mm-hmm. mind in terms of learning about the organizing tradition in the civil rights movement yeah. exemplified by Ella Baker, by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, learning about white anti-racist organizer Ann Braden, mm-hmm. but also through the courses I took there was a couple of times where there was opportunities to talk with people in your community to learn about different issues or, yeah. um, and so there was a, there was one uh, social work class on community organizing where there was an opportunity to do an interview with a community leader. And so I did an interview with Elizabeth Batita Martinez, mm-hmm. um, who is yeah. a long time uh, multiracial feminist uh, build organizer, movement builder, writer. Um, and so In meeting her, I wanted her to become a mentor and so really reached out, you know, knowing, okay, here I am, this, like, white guy, um, you know, (laughs) and really being able to be like, okay, I want to, like, build this relationship um, with Elizabeth Batita Martinez. And then there was a whole constellation, Roxanne um, Dunbar-Ortiz, who, you know, indigenous scholar, historian, um, and then Sharon Martinez, who's a longtime white anti-racist who was really um, uh, had a transformative experience in the civil rights movement and came out of that with the commitment to organizing white people against racism. Well, there's the classic ways you find mentors, which is through school. But two of these mentors, Sharon Martinez and Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, I actually met because I worked at a video store next to their house, and they would come in, and you know, and I saw their names and recognized them from things wow. that I had read, or they were wearing political T-shirts, and we struck oh. up conversations, and then I just like kind of showed a a tremendous curiosity and an excitement. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, she would invite me over to her house to have coffee every Friday for months and months and months, Mm -hmm. and we would just have these incredible conversations about the women's liberation movement, about the American Indian movement. Um, And so just meeting mentors, and I think really trying to find people in our lives who can help support us in our growth, in our learning, Mm -hmm. in our putting things in perspective that was what was so key for me as a young activist was being able to think in a more of a long haul, uh, multi dimensional way about how movements grow, how they ebb, how they flow. Um, And because I felt like I was banging my head against the wall and, you know, really being able to try to think more about the ebb and flow of movements, the role of leaders, the role of organization. So those mentors were incredibly important, both those who I read about and studied in books, those who I met and spent tremendous amounts of time just drinking coffee and listening yeah. to stories and asking questions.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that early growth and learning that you put yourself out there to receive. Um, how do you keep challenging yourself? Now, you know, you're um, now that you're you know one of the educators and one of the one of the younger mentors. Um, how do you how do you keep Doing things that are risky and, and things that scare you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a that's a that's a fantastic question. I and mean, what I think, scares uh, you? I mean, I think that being able to continue to look to people uh, for leadership, for inspiration, um, and a lot of that is um, both you know people who I've known for a long time who. Um, their example of leadership in this time. I mean, you know, for example, Alicia Garza um, with the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, she's someone who, Mm -hmm. you know, I met over a decade ago um, when we were working on uh, solidarity with uh, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we met and we were both organizers in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, seeing Alicia Garza's, the leadership that she has brought publicly nationally uh, in these last years um, has just been incredible. And so watching and experiencing her leadership uh, really pushes me in terms of being able to try to take more risks in terms of uh, trying to reach wider audiences. Um, Adrienne Marie Brown is another person who really, um, again, somebody who's of the same generation, um, but like the book that she just put out, Emergent Strategy, really helping us think about being strategic. Out of the conditions that we live in now, and how to move forward from a place of vision and possibility. Um, yeah. So, re, you know, really looking to to leaders and um, people around who are moving things in ways that feel hopeful, inspiring, and are pushing the edge of um, what we need to be doing right now. And so, for myself, in terms of risk taking. Um, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of just like, uh, you know, how do we post-election, post- in this era of Trump, exactly. uh, how, do, how do we build both principled intersectional movements mm-hmm. while simultaneously having a wide range of opportunities for new people to get involved? Mm-hmm. So holding, and for me, this is like a dialectical tension, and by that I mean a tension that can help uh, each— all of this develop in really creative ways, and again, I feel like Adrienne Marie Brown, Alicia Garza, um, many others out there are, are experimenting with this of how do we have uh, a feminist, anti-racist, mm-hmm. queer and trans liberationist, socialist commitment in our, our broad Movement while simultaneously being able to engage and connect with people who none of that would even make sense. They yeah. were the, the, the idea of talking about patriarchy, the idea of talking about socialism, the idea of talking about um, a wide range of these things would completely alienate them. Yeah. But the vast majority of society is is deeply uh, influenced. You know, all of us are deeply shaped by. Structural inequality as it exists right now. Mm -hmm. And so, most people have not had the experience of even being exposed to social justice politics, let alone being invited into social justice efforts. So, we need to simultaneously be able to invite millions of people who have not previously been invited into this work Mm -hmm. while also being able to hold a, a political commitment and a political vision that really centralizes and, and amplifies the voices of women of color, that mm-hmm. amplifies and supports the leadership of, of yeah. uh, you know, people of color movements, of queer LGBT, of feminist movements. Um, while also, you know, like, I want millions of men to be involved in the work to end misogyny, to end sexism. And there's a lot of men who are deeply, deeply indoctrinated to believe that feminism means I hate men, that feminism is an attack on everything that men love, everything everything about what a man is. And so being able to recognize that structural inequality is poisoning the hearts and minds of people and that liberation movements need to be able to interact with those folks in ways that both meets them where they're at but transforms them – in our invitation into the movement Into in engaging them with the movement yeah. But being able to So that for me is a really risky thing Of how do you simultaneously uh, Hold mm-hmm. a, a nuanced Intersectional Visionary yeah. politics mm-hmm. That is that is that is at the core in opposition to the structural oppression, the structural inequality of existing society, while simultaneously being able to engage and connect with people who have been their worldview is completely you know so profoundly shaped by structural inequality mm-hmm. and have never even been exposed to social justice values because social justice values get shut down in this society. They don't get the airtime. They don't get the resources. They yeah. don't get the support. So that tension of intersectional liberation politics and broad-based connecting to everyday people's issues and needs in all communities mm-hmm. in all communities and yeah. I'm not talking about just trying to reach Trump voters I'm talking I'm talking about trying to reach yeah. all sectors of our our society of working class you know communities of mm-hmm. color of millennials of all of our different communities to develop a social justice ethic and commitment, and be a part of a, a transformative justice movement in these times. So, how we do that, there's a lot of, we need to be able to take risks around yeah. how we're able to connect with people, how we're, try, how we're trying to align people, um, and how we're trying to um, ultimately be able to bring people in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like with um, the Black Lives Matter movement linking with the Palestinian uh, Lives Matter movement. You've Absolutely, very controversial. But you can—they're they're finding commonalities and strength in numbers and coalition building. So I want to get back to this: your early organizing, and to get back to you know some definitions of leadership that you've mentioned. I mean, your mentors, your naming, don't look like you. I mean, were there any white cisgender men who also were mentors? And and then um, you know what. Uh, in terms of leadership, I want—I would like you to talk more broadly about your definition of leadership and how um, you know people on the margins claiming that uh, power of leadership. But also this wonderful um, piece that you wrote—it's uh, on your website and it's also in an anthology that I'll post on um, Nothing Never Happens website. Uh, tools for white guys who are working for social change. Um, you know how. How do you, uh, in, you know, in your own social location, find yourself as a leader, stepping up, stepping back, um, and also being open to being transformed and always being a learner?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, one of the one of the people who I really look to a lot and just really inspired me um, and continues to inspire me is Howard Zinn, and. You know, just his his work as a historian, um, as a scholar activist, um, his but also his work being involved in, in justice movements um, was incredibly uh, inspiring, and mm-hmm. um, really kind of helped me think about okay, what what kind of how can I be a white guy who is mm-hmm. working to be part of multiracial feminist movement. Um, and so Howard Zinn was definitely somebody who I looked to um, a lot in that work. Um, and so then thinking about, okay, how how can I um, how can I participate? And there, and there was a tremendous amount of over the years, you know, going from places of, you know, having a lot of, like, guilt and, and shame around mm-hmm. um, yeah. being white, around being male, you know, being, like, the only white guy mm-hmm. in these, you know, women's studies classes... Mm-hmm. Um, where it would be like, you know, like a black feminist, um, class or, you know, women, race and class. Um, you know, these different classes that were really centering women of color. Um, and I'd be one of the few white people and oftentimes the only guy. Um, and, you know, it was incredibly important for me to be a listener, um, to be, uh, just really, um, trying to be in that space in a way that was just, um, really opening my heart and my mind to what I was hearing and what I was learning. And it would oftentimes be just so painful and I would feel horrible um, about learning about this history, learning about this reality, and also learning about people's experiences Mm -hmm. day in, day out right now with people who look like me. Um, And so it was a real process then of, of, you know, and bell hooks was really important to me um, and a lot of other people. And there was also some white men who were friends of mine um, who would talk about like, yes, like we were born into the social location we didn't choose our position in the society but we can choose how we engage in the society who whose leadership we look to um, how what choices we make what kinds of commitments we have what what our political values are Um, and so Bell Hooks, her concept of collective liberation, uh, mm-hmm. just really resonated for me in terms of not only are systems of oppression interconnected, but also our struggles for liberation are interconnected. Yeah. And so the struggle to get free from patriarchy, and she writes a lot about this, um, is really key to men getting free from what you know are the toxic uh, that the, the toxic masculinity that patriarchy produces um, that is a, that's actually detrimental. Uh, uh, to the lives of men to the to how men want to be in the world um, and so thinking about the ways that you know le- learning about Ann Braden um, and mm-hmm. you know her husband Carl Braden, yeah. um, who you know really inspired me around okay what are the ways that white supremacy um, actually is decimating the lives of white people yeah. and not only in terms of keeping white people overwhelmingly poor or disconnected mm-hmm. from the resources of the wealthy and of of of, of the professional classes, um, but this kind of like maintaining a class inequality for for so many white people, mm-hmm. but then also really uh, uh, robbing white people um, of, the, of the spiritual and cultural nourishment of being in beloved community, of being yeah. able to know the lives of, of people of color, the histories mm-hmm. of people of color, being able to yeah. know about what a liberatory politics amongst white people is. And so white mm-hmm. supremacy is literally... Straightjacketing the imaginations of white people to only be only believe that structural inequality is the the norm of how life has to be. That if people of color get rights, it comes at the expense of white people. Yeah. That men are taught the same thing. Um, and so then for me, it became a thing of like really being able to heal. Uh, what are ways that white that, that white supremacy, that patriarchy, have really been damaging? And needing to be able to heal and move past guilt and shame and move into yeah. more of a outrage. An outrage for the structural equality and a deep love for all of my people, whether that is men, whether that's white people, um, a, a love to be able to then engage in organizing with men, with white people from a place of liberation, not a place of guilt and shame. And so this piece that you uh, you mentioned, you know, tools for white guys, um, you know, that came out of conversations where. Um, you know, really trying to think about, okay, well, what, what, what have been some of the lessons that uh, particularly women mm-hmm. um, have really um, shared with me over the years in terms of, like, reflecting on, like, how I participate in meetings or yeah. how I participate yeah. in social justice groups um, mm-hmm. and really being able to, you know, because as, as you know, a white person, as a, as a, as a cisgendered male, mm-hmm. my ability to listen to the wide ranges of voices and experiences around me has culturally and institutionally been narrowed. And so it's not that I chose as a young kid to only prioritize certain voices, Mm -hmm. but society trained me very well to be like, these are the voices you need to listen to. These are the voices that you can ignore and should ignore. Um, And so being able to tools for white guys, a lot of it's encouraging um, white guys like myself to be able to take, you know, Step back in a way that can step back, not in a way that's like a punishment of like you just need to go and shut up, but a stepping back in a way that's like I need to step back so that I can see the incredible world around me that patriarchy and white supremacy has been trying to keep me from being able to see, putting the you know, keeping my worldview so narrow that I can't see the wider world around me and learn from the people around yeah. me who I have been told have nothing to teach me. So a lot of it around the step back is being able to then open yourself up to the leadership and to the world around you um, but then as an anti-racist as, and as a, as a, as a mm-hmm. feminist, it's not just about stepping back. It's also about yeah. trying to figure out new ways of stepping up, which then mm-hmm. comes into this concept of leadership, which, you know, Ella Baker really talks a lot about group-centered leadership, about leaders who are able to help further the collective power of a group, who are able to help build up group uh, cohesion, group culture, mm-hmm. group leadership uh, – yeah. A leader who is not committed to concentration of power for themselves Mm -hmm. but a leader who is deeply committed to our people, our communities, feeling feeling their own power, their own ability to democratically run and govern this society and their lives and our families and our communities and our schools. So leaders who are committed to an expansive democratic power – versus a concentrated authoritarian hierarchical power. And so what that means is really dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what that means is that we need to be both bringing leadership yeah. And we need to be supporting other people in stepping up to bring their leadership. We need to both be bringing ideas into our communities, and we need to be supporting spaces where our communities can gather and develop their own ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's a both and. It's not an either yeah. or. Yeah. It's not a, well, if you're the, you, you know, you got to do it this way or that way. It's a no, we need both. We need, mm-hmm. we need a lot of different kinds of leadership. And in particular, we need more leadership that's been marginalized in the society mm-hmm. to be able to transform the society. And so, one of the things you know, for me, when, in thinking about my work, is not just stepping back, but yeah. stepping up in a way that creates space in a white community, for example, like I step up in white communities, but then mm-hmm. also try to make space to step up in a white community that in a way that talks, about and, uh, uh, that talks about the history of racism, uh, the, the role of racial two, justice, but I'm then stepping back to the then try to amplify the voices of people of color within white communities, because I didn't grow up with a lot education. of voices of people of color. I didn't grow up with a lot of role models of people of color, yeah. you know? And so wanting young young white kids to grow up Hearing and knowing the stories and legacies of of organizations of color, of leaders of color, um, and Mm -hmm. wanting more and more white people to be exposed and invited to listen to leaders today like Alicia Garza, like Adrienne Marie Brown, like Angela Davis, Mm -hmm. like so many incredible leaders today who white people – have been trained to completely ignore or attack. And so, those are that we need to be able to transform that. And that's part of for me thinking about leadership.
0: Yeah, and that's Ella Baker's model with the youth that she worked with, not being the one in charge, is, is letting them step into those uh, opportunities. Do, do,
1: do, 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 do.